Floyd Vaughn, right here with uh, Pastor Alex Hill for the good morning. Ravens Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. <laughs> we said we joked on one another earlier about how we always forget what the name of the, the teaching is. But good to be here this morning. Good to have you. Uh, most of you guys know we weren't here yesterday morning. Um, we were still somewhat recovering from our trip to, uh, to New York City, but we had a great time. And, uh, just had to gather up the equipment, but we're right here. You notice we're in a different place this morning where, where we normally broadcast our Tuesday Absolutely. night service. Uh, once again, we had the equipment set up. We thought we would just do it here this morning rather than tear it down and move to my kitchen table, which you guys have grown accustomed to. But good to be here this morning, Pastor. Why don't you open us up in prayer this morning? Amen. And uh, we'll get started. Okay, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you this morning. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the Word of God. God, I thank You that You have not left us without, Lord God. You said that Your ear is not too deafened to hear our cry, or Your hand too shortened to save. And God, it says to remember where we came from. God, we remember this morning that, God, there was a time, Lord God, in our lives that we wouldn't even even consider reading the Word of God. But now I'm privileged, Lord God, that the mysteries of God is being revealed unto us, Lord God. So, God, I pray that you would reveal them to us this morning. I, I rebuke the devourer for trying to steal the seed this morning from us. God, I pray for you like revelation to us, God, that rain of word, God, even that God breath, Lord God, that it will just fill us this morning, God. Cause our minds and our hearts to be focused on you. God, I, I know that there's so many worries and things that goes on in life. God, I pray that those things won't choke out the Word of God this morning. That we would focus on You, Lord God. We set our faces like flint. We look towards You, God. And we do not turn to the left nor to the right, God. We focus strictly on You this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Once again, we just thank You for joining us this morning. Uh, if you're just now tuning in, if you're watching through one of our uh, contributing websites, uh, we meet here uh, throughout the week for a study in the book of Romans. And if you're with us, we just encourage you to get your Bible out. If you have questions during the, the course of this, uh, we encourage you to send those uh, those questions in. If you have comments, something that we say that you want to have us go a little bit deeper into, you can email myself at raven, R-A-V-E-N, at biggrace.com. Or you can actually get it from the website. You can see that right above our heads this morning. Any questions that you have or comments or you just need some further explanation, do not hesitate to do that. We'll go into as much detail as you need us to and provide as, as credit, uh, good as an explanation on those things as possible. So any questions you have, anything we say that you want to uh, get a little bit more clarity on, don't hesitate. We really stand by Acts 17.11 with the Bereans who were more noble than the Thessalonians who received the word readily, but they searched the scripture to say if it was so. And so as we teach you, you know, there's opportunities for you to ask questions to also teach us and to just bring clarity because chances are if you have a question on something that maybe is not completely uh, explained out, Somebody else may have the exact same question. That's what we're here for. We're here by no means thinking that we have all the answers, but we can certainly go to the Word of God and find those answers, and we can do it together um, uh, easier more often than not. So, appreciate you. We'll be going through the book of Romans, all 16 chapters. Uh, We started, well, I think this is our sixth lesson. And if you've missed out, we're just to, uh, I believe, verse... What is it? Verse 7 is where we're at. So mm-hmm. if you've missed out on some, you can also, Steve Ignowski, you might know he's logged on this morning, but he's been recording these messages for us in MP3 format. So if you've missed any of the, the previous teachings, you can actually go right here to ravenoutreach.blogspot.com, and we have those links on there that Steve's made available to you. And you can double-click on those. You can download them onto your iPod. And we're actually, uh, maybe he can help me on that too. 
uh, a brother in the Lord in New York City said, hey, can you set that up as a podcast? And so it's just as soon as we can figure out how to do that, uh, we may make that available via a podcast as well. So uh, appreciate Steve and appreciate all you folks that have joined with us each and every morning for the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies as we go through the Book of Romans. So let's not delay. Let's get to the Book of Romans, the the uh, seventh chapter. But first I want to bring us up to speed since we're just this, uh, deep into it, brother. I'll just kind of read the first six chapters. And it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated in the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among the nations for his name. Among you were also called. And so... Uh, Today we're going to jump into verse 7, Pastor. It says, to, be, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop just for a second. I don't know if you found out we were on the streets, which we often are, but when you get into an environment like New York City, uh, which is such a melting pot, not of just people and nationalities, but of religions as well. Um, well, I think what's important about the book of Romans is that we talked about when we opened the, 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 the class was where it was written from. Right. You know, it was written from a place probably not too much unlike New York City because the Roman letter was written from Corinth, which Corinth was a, a place that had been in, uh, infiltrated by a lot of false religion. There was a lot of sexual immorality. Does it sound familiar? Yeah, to absolutely. The, it was a kind of a melting pot. It was a, it was a cosmopolitan area. And so as Paul... Don't hear any sound. It may be on your end, sis. So I think everyone else, everyone else hearing sound from our program this morning. Okay, everyone else is hearing sound. One, it may be on your end, sis. So, um, so you see, Corinth was a uh, a place that was a melting pot, not unlike New York City. And so, when you find yourself in a situation like this, whether we were that we were dealing and ministering unto Jews, I mean, think about the number of Jews that we were ministering to. Absolutely. Some were uh, Orthodox Jews. Some were just birthright. They really didn't personally read the Torah themselves, or they didn't adhere to the principles of the of the, of the law of Moses. They considered themselves Jews because they were born Jews. Then we had the apostate Jews, guys that believed that the, the Messiah had already came, and not Jesus, but it was a fellow living in in, uh, in Queens, New York. Yeah. And so you, you confronted with that. We, we dealt with Hinduism. We dealt with Buddhism. And so all this melting pot was such so similar to me when I stood there in that place of, uh, of a place like, uh, like New York City. And so it's important that we, we really just study the Word. And the Scripture tells us, Paul taught, to study to show yourself approved unto God, that uh, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, that you become a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Because if you get into a situation like that and you don't have the answer, yeah. what is it? You're ashamed. Right. Not, not ashamed in the sense of, of, of doubting who Christ is in your life, but just think of yourself, man, I could have done more preparation. Right. I should have known more. I should have known more. I should have been able to provide an answer for them. And so we meet in times like this. This really provides us an opportunity to, to really get schooled in the Word of God and to, to, to hone the edges of our swords and to get that Word inside of us. Because you just never know when you need it. And that's why we really endeavor within these studies to get that, to pull out every little nugget. And some people say, well, you can just brush over that. But I don't think we really can. You have to, to really dig into that stuff and, and get those, those those riches and those treasures that, that he hides in this stuff. I don't know how many times that we had to, uh, during this last trip even, that yeah. we had to uh, go back and, and, and just the recent Roman studies that we've been doing on how uh, 
especially when we were talking about the deity of Christ and how we had to go and use those things that we just learned for those things because so many people will of course you know they don't believe in Jesus being the Christ the son of the living God so you're able to use some of that stuff that we got at least I was able to go back and draw back and say oh man we just studied some of this and able to go back and, and, and uh, pull that in so how many, how many times did you hear someone say over the course of this past weekend you know I, I believe in Jesus I believe that he was a good man I was a good man or I believe that he was a prophet or I believe that you know that he, he lived but they would not go to that point of saying, I believe that Jesus Christ was God made manifest in right. the flesh. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Right. But you've got to be able to defend the faith. And I believe when we come to places like this, that's it. So we talked about that Paul wrote this letter from Corinth, a place not unlike uh, New York City. And uh, that uh, he established right off the bat his apostleship. He established the transformation that comes in Christ Jesus. He, he established that, that, that his obedience. He established that he was based on faith throughout the nations. And now we come to this place where he begins to specifically address the, the parties that he's speaking to. And he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul opens up, Pastor, he says, To all that be in Rome. And so, once again, you know, we see throughout the Scripture that Paul always endeavored to go to Rome. Right. Why was it that he so wanted to go to Rome? Well, the fact the Lord told him he was going to have to go to Rome. Which is which is a good reason. Yeah. Which should be the, the only reason we have to have that. But I think he told him how much he'd have to suffer there, didn't he? He had to suffer there. Yeah. But you think about what Rome represented in that day and age. It was the, it was, it was the seat of government. Oh, uh, you know, it was the Rome, great Roman Empire. So the empire that... That, that, that led the nation, so to speak, that the most powerful place was, was the, the city of Rome. And so when he went there, he knew that he was going to that place that would literally strike at the heart of everything. And you think about going to New York City. New York City is kind of that international yeah, it city. It's the center of government. It's where right. the, the New York Stock Exchange, you have the NASDAQ, we have mm -hmm. the United Nations. All these places. So New York is not unlike Rome in and of itself, like we spoke of it as, as Corinth, but it is such a center of government. You know, we're the free world. And, right. But all the nations come to New York City. And we saw those place, places come, those people come to those places for to, to, to do business, to, to, to sightsee and all those things. And so when you find yourself in a place, man, it really comes to the, that the realization of just the urgency that Paul had to that. Right. But, but when he spoke, he said all those Rome. He was literally, he was talking to the church at Rome. And so he was saying all those, he wasn't just speaking generally to the, the Roman populace because he was speaking that this church that had been established in Rome, that, that he knew that he needed to go and provide and establish some, uh, some, some doctrinal guidelines. But what I love about it is that he did speak out of his experiences in Corinth because he, he wasn't there like this to establish the church at Rome. Right. But from a distance that his, his apostleship was being made evident as he went and he wrote this letter specifically outlining what we call in this program kind of the Magna Carta of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the, the epistles. It's the ones that establish the truth of the gospel, justification by faith, and all these things that we, that we hold dear and are kind of the bedrock of our salvation. And so he spoke to them, and he's, and he's speaking to all those Romans, but it also becomes just a salutation to all of us as believers. You know, we sit here today having greatly benefited from this letter to the Roman church. Absolutely. And so we sit here, we can draw through the justification. We can draw through the sanctification. And you can even look at when Martin Luther, the, the great German theologian and, 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 and at one time priest, 
we finally read the book of Romans and saw that, you know, all the indulgences, all the things that were, that were propagated by the Roman Catholic Church were wrong. And God just gave him a revelation on justification through faith. And he wrote that 95 Theses and he nailed it to the church door and obviously he was excommunicated, but became the great reformer for the, for the Christian faith. And so you, you just see how God utilizes this letter uh, from city to city, and really it's seats of government. So it's, I think we got such a, a strong thing to draw from. But he says, to, to all be, the, be in Rome, then he says something I think is, is, is so uh, powerful, and he says, beloved of God. And so, uh, but a better translation for that, brother, is, is God's loved ones. God's loved ones. God's loved ones. And, and, that, and that love portion is, is the same love, the agape love, that's the cross kind of love. You know, we call it the, an unconditional love. And the unconditional love, so he says, God's loved one. He says, he says, guys, I'm writing this letter to you that are at Rome who are the loved ones of God. Now, now think about that just for a second, folks. You know, when we talk about our loved ones, what, what are we talking about? Usually our family, our, our uh, relatives, really. We're, we're talking about our family. Right. Yeah. And so we're, we're bringing it to the place of the, really the closest uh, form of, of human intimacy. Your, your children. If you talked about your loved ones, you'd be talking about your mom and dad. You'd be talking about your wife, Holly. You'd be yeah. talking about your, your children. You'd be talking about that, that closest circle of people. And, and typically when you talk about your loved ones, you're excluding just friends. Right. And so if you said, you know what, I really got to preach the gospel to my loved ones, there's something that's implied immediately. And it doesn't mean that you're, you're your buddy that lives in Texas or your friend that lives in New Orleans. Right. You're talking about those ones that you've received or, or are close to you as a result of a birthright. Right. And so here Paul is writing this letter and he addresses it to the church at Rome and he says, to, my, to God's loved ones, to those that are the closest type of relationship that God has. Mm-hmm. And so there's things that, 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 are, that, are, that are, what's a good way to put it, um, that are of knowledge or of common knowledge, I should say, within a family. Right. Things that are passed down, stories that have been told, relationships. And, and, and this past week, uh, actually last week when, when I got into New York City, I got a call that my aunt Vera Phillips had passed away in Texas. And Vera was one of my loved ones. She was my aunt. She was the one in our family who, uh, who was always such a stalwart for the, for the cause of Christ. I remember as a little boy when we moved to Texas from California. But she was the one that wanted us to come. And she was our Sunday school teacher. And, and I prayed with her in a, in a little office as a little boy to, to ask Christ Jesus. And even later in my teens when I was wandering away from the Lord, it was always her that was inviting me to church and teaching me about the Holy Spirit and, and, and gave me such a, a desire, especially for things like the tabernacle. I remember her teaching on the subject of the tabernacle and things like that. But she was my loved one. So there's stories that I could tell you just about intimate moments that we had with her. I could tell you about, about situations and conversations when me and my brother, uh, Pastor Todd, stayed at her home and things that she would do for us. She was our loved one. So there was a closer. So there's an affinity. So when Paul begins to talk and he says, listen, God's loved ones. He said, I want to get your attention. God is identifying you with his son Jesus. Amen. What are we called? We're called heirs. Co-labors. Co-labors and heirs, heirs together with Christ Jesus. And so if you're an heir to someone, what does that make you entitled to? To all the birthrights of 
of who we're here in air with. The, the birthrights, the benefits, all those things that we have. So, folks, when we're, when we're teaching you this about the Roman letter, listen, we are speaking not just to the to that church at Rome that is obviously such past. And I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm talking about the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but when Paul wrote this, it's transcending something that was, that was in the natural. And what he's saying is, I'm writing this letter to the loved ones of God. And so please, pay attention is what he's saying. Because this is something that's going to be so powerful. This is something that, that I've ordained for you. And it's, it's, it's based upon a close family relationship. Then he goes on to say something else that just really brings it home. He says, uh, he said, beloved of God and called to be saints. Now, when I say something, I say, brother, you're called to be a saint. What, what immediately do you think that? If I said, brother, you're called to be a saint, what's the implication that I'm, that I'm, I'm speaking to you? That, uh, that we're living in a holy, that, that he's depending you to be holy, that you're called out, that you're a, a saint is something that you, that people, I guess, even when I was lost, would recognize as somebody that was really high up there, really walking with uh, the Lord. He was special. He was, uh, you couldn't touch him. I mean, so, uh, I mean, that's kind of, kind of uh, probably off a little bit, but that's what I, <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably what I thought about. You yeah, know? it was being set up. Yeah, yeah, you're not being set up, brother. Trust me. But look at, look at your Bible. You're probably reading King James this morning just like I have. You may be reading a different translation. But when it says called to be saints, if you'll notice, those words to be are italicized. Mm. Which means that they were added by translators to provide clarity at a later date. But in reality, they don't provide clarity. And if you look at culturally when, the, when, this, when this translation was, it, it had a, still had a lot of that influence from the, the, the Roman Catholic Church. And it was a breakaway from the Church of England that was ordained to, to establish these things. But, uh, but it really sh- it should say, uh, not called to be saints, but it should say uh, called saints. And so it should be, really a better translation would, to all the be enrolled, beloved of God, called saints. Mm-hmm. And so, folks, if I said, are you a, what are you? You're a saint. You're a saint of God. The Bible identifies you that. But we, we see that, that, again, in this translation, we see that, that influence in the Roman Catholic Church. And what they meant was, was sainthood based upon some series of guidelines. I believe even with the, the passing of Pope Paul, that they're, they're, they're going through a process to, uh, to call him a saint. That based upon some, he had, I think, I don't, some of you may bring clarity to this, and I can mention it in another program, but I think the, there had to be two or three uh, uh, miracles miracles that were confirmed, or, you know, someone say, hey, he prayed for me. Man, I tell you what, I know a lot of saints. Right. I know a lot of people that have prayed for folks and seen God raise them up, and right. all these types of things. So it was their criteria. Uh, boy, that's a small criteria. Yeah, only three. Only three? I'm saying, you know what? Only three this week or three today? Because what is it God calls us to? He, he gives us the power to tread upon serpents, to lay hands on the sick. And so, sainthood is not determined upon those type of things. So you see that, and, and then people are, are looking whether just a, a certain type of criteria. But it's, it's like I said, it's, it's written in the, in the original text. Those words to be are not there. And, uh, and really it's the opposite of be called. So it should be called called saints. And so, but God doesn't grant sainthood based upon performance. Amen. And I want to say that again. Guys, if you're looking to be called a saint, or if somebody says, are you a sinner or a saint? And you're thinking, well, you know, I can't be a saint, or I can't even call myself a saint, because I don't believe I'm acting saintly. Well, it's not based upon on, on, on your works of righteousness. It's based upon the righteousness that was, that was demonstrated and poured out for us and offered for us upon the cross of Calvary to... 
2,000 years ago. Excuse me. And so what happens is, it's by faith in the finished work of Christ, and, it, and, and there's no other way that we can obtain sainthood. So he says, well, you're obtained, you're called a saint. So, Deb, you're, you're watching this today. You're called a saint because of what Jesus did. Steve is called a, a saint because of what Jesus did. Holly is called a saint because of what Jesus did. Deb and, and Danae, whoever's with us, Laura, you're saints. Pastor Kerry, you're saints. Wanda, you're a saint because of what Jesus did. And so when we identify with His righteousness, we identify with that position that He's called us to. And guys, that is so, so very important because... Christ has got to call us a saint before the Father. Because unless we come to that place, and really what he's saying is that you're righteous. And so when he calls you a saint, he's saying you're righteous. Do we have any righteous people out there? I know it's, it's difficult sometimes to say, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a righteous individual. I'm a righteous man of God. I'm a righteous woman of, of faith. But unless we have that in righteousness, as literally the, the declaration he makes before us, we're lost. And so, he declares us a saint before the Father. And, and really, the, the, the legal terms, or the terms that the Bible uses for those, are sanctification, sanctification and justification. And so, as a person cries out to Jesus in faith, they're sanctified, or they become a saint. He's not waiting for you to perform. He's not waiting for you to spend ten years studying the Bible. He's not waiting for you to be able to quote, you know, from, from various places in the Scripture. You are justified, and in call of a saint, based upon your position in Christ. And so you become the loved one. And once you become the loved one, now you're called the saint of Christ. It's real important. We'll get into that more in just a few minutes. But think about this. 1 Corinthians 6.11. And somebody might put that on there for those that are watching. 1 Corinthians 6.11. And it says, As such were some of you, uh, talking about those that were lost, you read the context of that. Remember the scripture. Remember the scripture. Absolutely. And he says, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Amen. And so he was talking about people that had previously been something. But folks, listen. Once you come to Christ Jesus, your, your sainthood is established. You're, you're not waiting to jump through hoops or to, to get some type of you know, floating orb above your head or have some empowerment. Your empowerment was bought for you from the cross of Calvary. You've been established in Him. Absolutely. Your name has been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. That you, you, you qualified for that place. And so I think it's important. You, you hear in churches, and I've heard it so many times, and I cringe every time I hear it. People say, and I've heard pastors say this primarily. They'll say, listen, we're just, we're just old poor sinners. Saved by grace. Saved by grace. And what do they mean by that? It means that they're still living a lifestyle of sin for me to be. Doesn't that what it sounds like? Absolutely. Guys, i got news for you, and you can mark it down, you can write it, you can, you can pull it behind an airplane. I am not a sinner any longer. Period. That, because sin, being a sinner, there's two types of people. There's saints, and there's sinners. Right. There's people that are lost, and there's people that are born again. Right. There's nothing in between. There's not this, this, this hybrid of a saint sinner right. or a sinner saint because the Bible says that you cannot serve two masters that you'll love one you'll hate the other you'll hate the other and love the one but what has been brought into the church is this kind of defeatism and you think that you know people think well that's just kind of semantics but guys it is not whatsoever because what ends up happening and I've seen it uh, uh, reproduced time and time again in people's lives is listen I'm just an old sinner saved from grace and so basically what they're saying is 
I'm going to continue to sin. It's just it's their justification for sin. What does the scripture tell us? Don't, don't utilize grace as a lasciviousness or lasciviousness or any of these things for, for an opportunity for sin. Right. But grace, amen, gives us an opportunity for righteousness. And so when, when God comes into our life and begins to, to speak into our life, saves us, sanctifies us, and He causes that righteousness, immediately the righteousness of Christ Jesus is imputed to us. Just as when, we, when, when Adam fell, what happened? Sin came upon everyone. Absolutely. And so we immediately became lost. And so there wasn't various levels of lost. And so some people were half lost and some people were three quarters lost. Brother, you're either found, you're either born again, or, or you're lost. And so but when we come to Christ Jesus, we've been lost or we've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Folks, if, if you've asked Christ Jesus to come into your life, if you've got a relationship with Jesus, if you're walking after Him, if you have repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are not a sinner any longer. Now, brother, does that mean you never sin? No, that's it, not what that means. It doesn't mean it at all. Sinner is a person who's devoted to sin. Who's what? Devoted to sin. Write that down. A sinner is somebody who is devoted to sin. What does it mean to be devoted to sin? It means that you <laughs> you go after it. Yeah, you go after is what it really means. And we, we talked about too about in, in the, some of the early teachings about when Paul said, "I'm a doulos, right, a servant." I'm a servant. Well, he was a servant to righteousness. He was Absolutely. the servant of God. A sinner is a servant to sin. And so whoever we subject ourselves to or become a, a slave to, they become our master. And so I, I really want to want to pound in that point. Absolutely. When you hear people say, "Listen, I'm just no sinner saved by grace," you need to take them back to the cross. Take them back to repentance. You need to take them back to, to justification and sanctification and ask them, listen, what are you sanctified for? What are you sanctified from? What are you, who are you sanctified to? Right. Are you the beloved of God? Are you the one that, that, that are, are God's family? Because God's family doesn't have sinners in it. Right. God invites sinners into His family to become saints, saints. and to be justified, Absolutely. to be reborn. And, and I believe it's so important, Pastor, Pastor Alex really brought this point out about the devotion. Because once I call myself a part of His family, now I'm devoted to acting like part of the family. Absolutely. And so I want to imitate that family. I want to act in accordance with the with the, the, the traditions and the, the reputation of that family. And you see people, you know, in, on television or whatever else, they talked about their, their child has gone and done something. They said, you know, you sullied the reputation of this family. You've caused people to, to, to talk bad and you've rep, uh, ruined our reputation. Right. It's the same thing with Christ Jesus. As long as you call yourself a sinner and you walk in accordance with those things and you're always wishy-washy, you're going you're gonna to sully the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And, you know, what was the song that D.C. Todd came out, you know, years ago that he said the, the, the greatest problem in the church is, is Christians right. who don't act like Christians. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the reason they don't is because they're always told you're going to continue to sin. Right. Now, brother, I can bark like a dog, but it doesn't make me a dog. Absolutely. I can, I can miss the mark somewhat, again, not in devotion, but come up short of that mark, it doesn't make me a sinner. It means that I sin, but I've got an advocate with the Father. I've got a mediator in Christ Jesus. Right. There's a Holy Spirit that immediately convicts me of those things and, and, and tells me, listen, you can't do that any longer. I remember when I first got saved, I uh, was doing a thing called prison ministry. And uh, I'll never forget this guy came to me and he said, uh, you know why I'm allowed to do all these things? And he was talking about all the sins that he was doing. And he said the same thing. He said, well, just because I'm saved by grace. 
And he was over there puffing on a cigarette and talking about all the alcohol he was drinking. And he was supposed to be one of the ministers coming to do the prison ministry. And I thought to myself, even then, just recently saved, said, that's don't sound right to me. There's just not something right about it. Yeah. There's just no victory in it. Yeah, he was just like, I can do what I want to. Basically what he said, he was all happy about it. And I thought, this don't sound right to me, you know. And brothers, that as that sounds, it's just a... Uh, you, you see it so widespread in the church today. You know, I, I've been in churches that I've ministered at, and one of the elders will come out, and he'll have his pack of cigarettes in his in his in his pocket. Now, am I saying that, that cigarettes, excuse me, cigarettes or, or anything like that is the, the worst sin? Absolutely not. But those things are just they're, they're fruit. They're indicators of what's going on on the inside. They're indicators that we're justifying sin. That we're justifying a lack of righteousness. We're justifying these things rather than coming to say, listen, we are the beloved of God. Now, you and I are sitting here, brother. Neither one of us have arrived. Absolutely. We have not attained something. Just like Paul said in Philippians 3. Listen, I've not attained. I tell you what, I'm not a super saint or anything else or anything else like that. And, and every single day, I've got to rely upon Christ Jesus. He's my justifier. He's my sanctifier. He's my strength. He's my, my that ever-present help in time of need. But by no means am I going to tread upon the grace of God by calling myself something that He didn't. Absolutely. And so if He says I'm something, what am I going to do? It's going to bring me to that higher place. It's just like this. If, if you were your, your children, and I begin to tell my children, listen, man, you can do it. You're smart. You're able to do those things. What is it producing in? Confidence. Yeah, godly type of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And rather than saying, you know what, you're just stupid, you're just a sinner. And so pastors stand in the pulpits all the time saying, listen, you're just a sinner. What are they saying? That's basically, you're... You have no confidence. You have no overcome, no victory. You, you're not going to be able to overcome. Yeah, you're not going to have any victory. And so I, I think we really need to... Or you're a slave to is what I'm Yeah, you're a slave to. And we'll get into that more in chapter 6 as we, we get to that. Then the next thing that he said, it's always been so, so interesting to me. Uh, Paul says, uh, to all to be in Rome, to the, to the beloved of God, called to be saints, or called saints, and I'm going to read that again. To all to be in Rome, Beloved of God, called saints. Then he says this. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look through all of Paul's writings, uh, almost without exception, if you look at the book of Colossians, Ephesians, if you look at Philippians, almost every time in past salutation, he says that. He says, Grace to you and peace. Why? You think it's just something like, yo, yo, homeboy. That's a, it's a little I'm, saying. Yeah, why, why do you think Paul would, would take I'm, that type of position? You know, he's obviously trying to establish something or try to get something uh, across to the people every single time. Uh, I'm not quite sure why he does it, but I mean, that's what it indicates to me. He's trying to... Well, for us, you know, grace and peace have become just cliche. Right. You know, uh, man, I'm just seeking peace, you know, uh, People say, I just don't feel a peace about right. it. Well, they don't feel a peace about it. That means you, typically what it means is that <laughs> God's challenging you to do something and you feel uneasy about it. Mm. Jesus said, Think not that I come to bring peace, nay, but a sword. And so it can't be a thing where, you know, where Paul is saying grace and peace. And so uh, I hope you feel a peace about what I'm saying. Now, we talked about in the past, and, and I think we even mentioned some of this on in this program about what grace is and what grace isn't. And I think it's important. I'm going to bring this up again in case we, we have it. Uh, but it says, it, it, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is not the old covenant type of grace. 
Grace is the, the, the new covenant type of grace. The old covenant grace simply was just an unmerited favor of God. Right. It was something that had not been merited. It was, it was just when, like when God called Abraham out of here of the Chaldees. And he says, hey, it's you that I want to make a people out of. That I, I want to utilize you as, as that source of redemption uh, for mankind. And so it was, it, was, it was unmerited because there had not been a cross yet. And so with that, uh, we have a, an establishment of something that, that people always want to draw from. Uh, if Pastor Terry's listening, we're getting a slight echo on your name, brother. You might want to turn your mic off so we won't have that. Oh, and we lost our, our video feed just for a second. We'll, we'll get our video feed back as well. You're good. You're good. We'll change cameras. Okay, anyhow, uh, much better, Steve says. And so we talk about grace and peace. He's, talking, he's not talking about the unmerited favor of God. And some people will say from pulpits, that's what it is, it's the unmerited favor. But literally, it's the word charis in the Greek, which is the divine influence of God upon the heart and its reflection in the life. And so let's, let's inject that for a minute into what Paul says in, in this verse, in, in verse 7. So he says, he says, the divine influence of God upon the life and the reflection, the, uh, uh, the divine influence of God upon the heart and the reflection in the life and peace to you. Now see, when, when they heard it, that's right. what they heard. When we hear it, we hear grace that's diminished to this thing, just grace and peace, which just becomes just a, a quick salutation. Or a little, uh, but Paul, when he spoke those things, he was teaching them something. He was establishing, okay, if you're going to get the rest of these 16 chapters, if you're going to get the rest, he, obviously he didn't break it into chapters, if you're going to get the rest of this letter, if you're going to get the, the, the doctrines mm-hmm. of what I'm teaching you in Rome, he said you're going to have to get those things through the divine influence of God. You're going to have to get those things through that reflection that's going to come out of your life. Right. And see, that's going to follow with peace. So it's interesting to me that he uses those words, grace and peace, so many times, and not that just that modern rendition. Because so many people today, are, they're looking for peace, they're, they're looking for these things that, that have nothing to do with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so they're, they're trying to draw from something that, that, that is not an empowerment to overcome, but it's an empowerment to walk back. So he establishes beloved of Christ, Amen. who we are in Christ. He 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 established that we're God called, that we're call, we're called saints. That God establishes that, that that I'm going to put an influence upon you. That's going to cause a reflection to come out of your life. And so every single letter that he put, and listen, we we established this. This was such a a doctrine of you. See if you can go to one again now. And so within that, there you go. And so within this doctrinal book, he said, listen, everything that you're going to get. It's going to be based upon the influence of God. And so guys, as you read the Word of God, and particularly the, the book of Romans, I really encourage you to say, God, I need the influence right. of grace to be upon my life. And really even him saying that, the grace is what helps us call to be saints. Exactly. Divine influence on the heart. How it helps us to be the, uh, to be the servants. I mean, it, it, it goes in everything that we've studied so far. It says this is... It, when you get the grace, it's what's called helps you to be called saints. How you get the peace, how you get to be a servant, how you to be holy, how you, how I even came from being Saul to Paul. I mean, right. when you think that, when you say that, that's what all that has to do with as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's what's our source? We're saved by grace, grace through faith. Through faith, we got that influence, mm-hmm. and it connects with faith because grace without faith, or where's faith come from? Faith comes by, by hearing, hearing by, by the word of word God. God. And so when grace comes and affects us, it's going to come in contact with that word. Paul had already established, he called them God-called saints. Right. And so he knew that the word had came to them. 
And what was that word? It was the, the, the testimony of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection. And so he knew when grace came upon them that there was something for grace to be filtered back from. Right. It's important. And what's also important is you know Paul wrote these letters not to the lost, but he wrote them to, the, to believers. Otherwise, I don't believe he would, he would have in his salutation, grace and peace be unto you. Because that grace without the word only produces judgment. Mm. Now think about that just for a second. Grace without the word only produces judgment. Because here, here's what it's like. It's like walking down the street, and I've said this many times, and I see people do it. You've got a lost person walking down the street that is totally unregenerate, doesn't have the mind of Christ, and you, 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 you call out to them, Hey, Jesus loves you. Right. Now, that sounds... It really sounds good, yeah. That sounds really good. But, but I've got to couple that with something else. All right. Is that a truth? Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. That's right that Jesus does love them. Or you, you holler at somebody and you say, well, hey, God bless you anyway. Right. What do we do? We're saying, God bless you. We, we don't know what their situation is. Right. God tells us you know, not to, not to just bid anyone God's speed or God's blessing. Right. What if that person walking down the, the street is in some type of abject sin? They've got murder in their heart. They're, say, yeah. they're alcoholic. And we say, listen, uh, God bless you. So what are they doing? Grace is hitting them without truth following it up. Mm-hmm. Without, without faith, the divine, uh, the, the, that moral compunction, the truthfulness of God. And so without grace, it's going to reflect judgment to them. They're going to say, I must be okay. I must be fine. Because God loves me. Yet God loved you so much. Right. Why didn't He stop right there? That He sent His Son Jesus. Absolutely. That He goes on to say that, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But He goes on to say that that, that, that this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather, rather than, than light Absolutely. because their deeds were evil. I guess it would be better to say, repent for Jesus loves you. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, 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 or something more than that. Or, or, or listen, hey, God loves you, but unless you repent, you're going to perish. That, that God loves you enough to send His Son Jesus to die for you. Right. And, but if you continue in that, God's love is going to have to cry out judgment for you. and It's going to declare you guilty. That, that, that the judgment of God has nothing to do with the love of God. Think right. about that for a minute. God loves everyone. God loved the whole world. Right. But that's not going to keep God from having to judge you and declare you guilty before Him if it does not come through faith. And so I think it's so key to, to think about how, what Paul is saying in this situation and what we should say. That If we're going to just go out and say something, we need to back that up with truth. Otherwise, we're setting someone else up for failure. We're setting them up for compromise. We're setting them up for a false gospel. Right. And so it's not just to, yeah. It's not so. It's not just as easy as walking up to someone and saying, "Listen, pray this little prayer with me." Say, "You know, I believe in God, and please forgive me," and going about your way. Mm-mm. That it's got to be something that comes, and God is influencing them. He is convicting them, and He is bringing them to that place of repentance to believe what Jesus did for them. They're laying down their life, and faith has come onto the scene. Right. Now. Let's, let's, let's tie something together real quick because I want to bring some clarity to it. We're saved by grace. Grace be to you and peace. Not, not, not of works, lest any man should boast. Absolutely. So we, we've, we've, got, we've got to tie something in here together. It's the fact that how, does, how are they going to hear, how are they going to get that, that, that faith? By hearing the Word of God. And where are they going to hear that at? From us. They're going to have to hear it from us. Yeah, absolutely. And so, the, the Great Commission, he goes, says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Mm-hmm. And those that believe and are baptized shall be saved. Those that don't believe shall be damned. And so, listen, guys, you, that, 
Just what he said there to the church at Rome, a lot of established, just the urgency that we have. Guys, when we go to a place like, like New York City, I guarantee you, you, you can ask anyone that goes to a place like this, they'll find out in a hurry that it's, it's not a sightseeing trip. <laughs> you know, yeah. our, our urgency is not to see the Statue of Liberty. Our urgency is not to see Ground Zero. We, we, we may go to those places because we know that they're, they're a magnet for people. People, absolutely. But, you know, if I never go to those places and we can just stand flat-footed on a corner at St. Mark and 3rd Avenue and preach the gospel and people are getting saved, that's great as well. Absolutely. And so you, you've got to realize that every place we go we're to take that, that, that word and that's the urgency of the Great Commission. He also says that how will they know unless we preach? Right. How can they hear without a preacher? Absolutely. And how can we go unless we're, we're sent Same. out? And so Jesus established that in Mark 16. He said, he said, go into all the world. He established that in Acts chapter 1. where, where he, he said, I've made you witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. He established that in John. He said, I'm going to send you a comforter. And he's going to lead and guide you into Absolutely. all truth. And so we have the establishment of how grace is going to be an influence on us. But we've also got to re- realize that now we have that self-same responsibility to, to ensure that people are hearing the truth. Whether it's in a forum like this, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, whether it's in a written forum, whether it's talking to somebody one-on-one on a street corner, or somebody standing on a soapbox preaching the uncompromising gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's with your children at your knee, teaching them the Word, or a husband and wife at a, at a kitchen table doing a morning devotion, whatever it is, we have an obligation to Christ Jesus and thus to one another to bring that word of truth in. That way when the word is spoken or when grace comes, right. because it has something to land upon. Absolutely. And it produces that truth. The problem is for 2,000 years, the, the truth aspect of what affects grace has been undone. And so Paul was establishing, listen, I'm giving you a doctrinal book. I'm fixing to give it to you. But I'm, I'm giving you a, a little nugget right off the bat. It's going to have to be grace that's going to produce that. Now I want to say this before we move on to the next verse. He said grace and peace. peace. Why didn't he say peace and grace? I guess because grace has to come first. It has to be the divine influence first before you can ever get the peace. Exactly. Folks, you will never have the peace of God apart from the grace of God. Mm-hmm. I want to say that again. You will never have the peace of God apart from the grace of God. Uh, let me, now let me stretch it out. Let me give you my amplified version. You will never have the peace of God apart from God's divine influence on your life and the righteous reflection of such. You will never have the peace of God. When the Scripture tells us to follow peace, peace. with all men right. and holiness, holiness, once again, is tied into the grace of God. What is God's influence? It's His holiness. It's His holiness. Absolutely. And so God's influence isn't just anything. What brings us to repentance? The, the, the awareness of the holiness of God. And you know, to the, to the Jew, he, he, he brought the law. Right. And so, law to the humble, you know, grace to, uh, I mean, law to, to the, the proud, proud, grace to the humble. And so when the law came, what did it do? It, it brought an awareness of the holiness of God. Go to the book of Exodus. Moses came down from the mountain, and what he did? He, he gave them the tablets of the law that says, Listen, thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Thou shalt not forsake the, uh, the, the, the Sabbath day. You know, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. All these commandments that he, he gave us, he gave them to establish uh, the criteria for holiness. And so now, we have a new and better way. We have a, a living word. A sure way. We have a sure way. We have a, a, a new covenant in His blood. And so, that, that comes into our life and He establishes that holiness for us. And so, we're to follow peace, which is the only way we have peace. Let's break it down a little bit more. 
<coughs> is with genuine holiness. And some people say, well, listen, I'm a, I, I don't want to say anything to someone that's in sin because I want to be a peacemaker. You know, we were kind of confronted with uh, a situation there in, 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 in New York City. There was a, a young man that was somewhat taken aback by Brother Lord that was, was just, and really didn't say anything, but he was dealing with the issue of homosexuality. And the guy said, listen, you've just got to show him love. You can't just call those things out. Well, what, what he was saying was, you've got to show them a love devoid of holiness. Mm. But there's no true realization of God's love apart from God's holiness. Absolutely. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, when he was saying, listen, you've got to have, be understanding, you've got to say it a different way. Guys, I wish you, I, 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 you know, I, I really wish that there was some type of magic wand of, of spirituality we could wave over each and every one of us and suddenly, you know, we just get it. But what he chose was the foolishness of preaching the gospel. Uh-huh. And the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't a diluted pastel pink. It's a crimson red that, that says, if you want to be his disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after him. And what brings us to that place of, of, of denying ourselves is seeing ourselves in the light of God's grace, or in the light of God's influence, or in the light of God's holiness, or in a reflection of that. So there's got to be that thing that we're measured against in relationship to, to coming to that place of repentance. Guys, without preaching repentance, or without establishing the holiness of God and, and, and what God demands, there's not going to be a genuine salvation. What there's only going to be is that wide gate type of salvation that you see, and it's really not a salvation at all. The wide gate gospel that you'll see in the, in, in the book of the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter, that many go in because it's easy. See, right. What, what, what is someone that you want to make a comment? I was just thinking about these two young men that we were bringing uh, that up to in New York about how uh, they were living a I, I they really weren't sure what they believed in. I mean, you heard some of the testimony last night about Cole saying about, you know, about him wanting to live like this forever. But he was talking to those two young men, and we brought up the fact that there's a uh, narrow and a wide gate, and that, uh, and that was we were as we were talking to them, we uh, came to the realization that uh, that they really didn't know the gospel. They were two Catholic boys that, and one of them really knew some of the gospel because every time you say something, you try to finish it. They didn't know anything at all, and you could see the. The, the the fact that that one young man was just doing whatever he knew the gospel but he was just doing whatever he was living a wide uh, 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 gay gospel you can see that thank you sis that's uh, that, that's what I was thinking about when you were saying that and so what, what does that demand us to do brother it demands us to to squeeze that gate down absolutely and how do you how do you bring that gate to that place of refinement by preaching a narrow way word. And it's a hard way. It and is most a hard people, way. And most people would rather choose that, choose a, a, a wide gate than they would a narrow because it squeezes you. It really tests you. It's a, it tests your metal, so to speak, and you really have to get in it. And then it's a hard pressing, like we were talking about pressing. There's got to be resistance. And, and that narrow gate is a resisting, pushing in, uh, no matter what it takes, I'm going to push in and press into the gospel, and that's that narrow gate uh, mentality. And I want to say this, brother: it is a hard way, but it's the only way. It's the only way. Okay, I want to say that again. Get that in your heart. It's a hard way, but it's the only way. There, there's not several uh, different variations of how to get to heaven. There's just that one solitary way. He said, "I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father." Being narrow-minded. Yeah, being there. Yeah, I am narrow-minded. You're being narrow-minded. I'm narrow-way-minded. Absolutely. There is some way. You know, people say you need to be open-minded. Well, I was. 
I was yeah. open-minded when he convicted me of my sin and he exposed me. He opened me up and exposed me for Absolutely. who I was. Then what happened? Man, my mind became closed around the truth of the Word. Come on. Let this solitary mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Don't be conformed. We'll see this in Romans 12 too when we get to that. To the image of this world but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what's a good perfect and acceptable will of God. And so I'm, I'm narrow-minded in the sense of the word that the only thing I want is that which is good, that which is perfect, that which is acceptable unto God. So it's a narrow way. And so Paul was establishing that, and I, and I really think we, 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 we needed to kind of establish where he was coming from in that. And so I'll read that again. To all that be in Rome, uh, the God's beloved, God's family, called saints, He's called you saints, grace to to you, get that influence upon you, get that, 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 that place that God wants you to be that's going to be reflected, and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's, it's, it's not that peace that, that means, uh, listen, I just, can't we, it's not the Rodney King of a few years ago, peace, can't we just all get along? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's what people are looking for so much. Don't say yeah. anything. Don't be confrontational. So, right, controversial don't, at don't all. Don't be controversial. Don't say... It's, it's not that type of peace. Because they thought that... Uh, many people in the church think, you know, if you confront an issue, that you're not being peaceable. And so when he says, follow peace with all men, he's not talking... He's saying, listen, I want you to bring that, that awareness, that, 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 mm-hmm. that place that finally you attain to a place that you're able to find rest in Him. But the, the only place that rest can be found is in righteousness. Absolutely. Rest can only be found in righteousness. Anything else is going to be just like some type of drug. It's going to, it's going to pacify you momentarily, but it's never going to pr- produce anything lasting. And so and you, you see that so many times. People are jumping from place to place. They'll go to, they'll go to one church, and, and as long as they're, they're, they're satisfied, they can get that, that false sense of peace for just a little while. But if something starts ruffling the feathers, what are they? They're jumping somewhere else, right. and, and they're, they're, they're satisfied. Why? Because they're not truly looking for that source. Absolutely. And obviously, but there's some churches that you'll never find peace in because they never preach righteousness. Yeah. What they preach is a conformity. That's the word, conformity. Okay, so peace has nothing to do with conformity. Right. Peace is based upon that same righteousness. I have never seen that more in play than New York City. Yeah. I really haven't. I've never seen uh, people that say, let's all get along, let's not speak out against any group. If you talk about the, you know, if you talk about that a certain group is living in sin, no matter who it is, from Muslims to the Jewish people to the, uh, to homosexuals to fornic, I mean, no matter what you talked about, there was all this, this sense. You don't say anything bad about anybody. We're, we're, all, we're all just trying to get along here. We're just, we're just all trying to be at peace with each other. We're all just, we're trying to just be a big happy family here. And I don't know, I've never felt anything so spiritually like that in my life. Yeah, just this hodgepodge of, of beliefs and trying to, trying to get to a place of just a... Uh, just, it really what it leads to is moral destitution. Absolutely. And you see those type of things. Not just moral destitution in the, in the world, but you see moral destitution that's coming to the church. And, you know, I, I, I preach and minister in places all over the country, and in certain regions of the country, you're exactly right, that you see the church is morally destitute, and they're, making a, they're, they're, making, they're trying to find peace with the world. Right, and so as a result yeah. of trying to find peace with the world, not a biblical peace that's, that's birthed out of righteousness, but a... a, a uh, a, a secular or, or a piece of conformity right. that says, I want to look more like the world so the world will like me. So we'll be peaceable. peaceable. So we'll get along. And so it's, it's saying, okay, maybe if I just talk like the world, 
Maybe I just, if I live like the world, maybe if I don't confront the world, maybe if I don't even go to the places that the world goes so, to. Right. And what you'll see many times, I know, I know crazy worship leaders that, you know, that are supposed to be those that, that lead people in, 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 in demonstrating a, a righteousness towards Christ that are so bound. You know, you talk to them one day and they're out at some secular concert just getting fed that garbage into mm-hmm. their souls and heart. Well, that's good music. Well, no, it's not good music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an abomination to God because you're either for Him or you're yeah, against Him. And it's not lifting Him up. It's, it's a substitute. You know, uh, Lucifer was, was called kind of the praise and worship leader of that. And so he offered something strange. You see, the, the sons of Aaron offered something strange in their worship. They were consumed by the fire. And we, think, we have the audacity to believe that in this day and age, after grace has been poured about, upon, upon us, right. mercy is poured upon us, that we're going to think that God is going to buy into some uh, a spiritual rigmarole that, that brings forth compromise and conformity. There's only one conformity. He said, I want you to be conformed to the image of my, my son Christ Jesus, right. not to the image of this world. Right. And so this false sense of peace has eked its way in. And we've talked about the things, the, the Velvet Elvises and the, 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 the God Sex, these, 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 these books by these people that have become widespread bestsellers that on the surface they seem so good. Right. But when you begin to dig below the surface, you see they're, 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 they're quoting from atheists. They're quoting from secular humanists. My goodness. It's just diluting down and just, you, they get you dabbling in things that you don't know anything about. Yeah. That way, one day you'll read something from that person. Hey, that couldn't have been too bad. I know he's, he's, his book's a new agent, but such and such, uh, Rick Warren quoted from him in Purpose Driven, and that guy was a secular humanist. That's a true story. If you want more information on it, you can email me at raven at biggrace.com. I'll, I'll show you in the book. These quotes are from these, these secular humanists, and these quotes are from atheists, but they propagate them out there. So it dilutes down in the heart of the mind that you, when you read those things. And so it becomes a conformity to this world for some type of result that's tangible in this world rather than right. intangible in the world to come. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I probably get a little bit animated about this <laughs> because I see how the adversary works. Absolutely. He's not going to come walking and say, you know, uh, and get a widespread appeal by saying, you know what, go burn, you know, go sacrifice some children and do these things. Yeah, certain pockets of people are going to do that. But what it's going to be, it's going to be a form of godliness that denies the true power. All right. And we talked about that power, and we'll get more into it. Right. And, and so you, they're, but they're forever learning, but never coming back to the knowledge of, of the, the truth, truth, the doctrines that Christ Jesus has established for us. So I really encourage you not to seek after this conformity type of peace, Absolutely. but a peace that only comes with knowing, listen, man, it's the holiness of God. And you know we've been there, Pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, you get into places in your life where, man, you're just seeking the face of God, and you... You, 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 you fasted and you get that realization of where I am with Christ Jesus that, I, that I've laid those sins that have easily beset me aside and I've, I've, I've pressed towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus. Rather than looking for the lowest common denominator, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pressing towards the high standard. And guys, again, I want to, I want to iterate that, that we have not arrived there. Mm-hmm. But we're pressing towards that place. Right. You know, and, and the only way we can get to that place is to, to saturate ourselves with the Word of God to commit ourselves and, and, and just plunge ourselves into prayer and, 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 and not only just in, in prayer in the Word of God but in not just being hearers but doers but doers absolutely otherwise you're deceived so folks absolutely. listen don't think that you can just sit through a Roman study or, or hide yourself in a prayer tower you've also got to be a doer of absolutely. what the Word of God says so for so it says uh, to God to all that be in Rome beloved of God great, called to be saints grace to you and peace from our Lord and Father uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That last part, and I don't, I'm going to take long on this, 
But he says, in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's doing is he's going to establish where this word's coming from. Right. That this word, this isn't some obligatory thing that he's uh, pulling out of his hat. But he's saying, listen, you're about to get something in these, these, this preceding text that I'm writing to you, this epistle, that is going to establish something because it was given by the Father. We, we, we spoke in the first verse that, that it's, it's, it's a, that, that theonupsis, it's that, that God-breathed Word, that all Scripture is given of God, that it's by inspiration, that we've got to get those, that, that, that the source of this Word is from Him. It's just not somebody that had a good heart or good intentions, but it's, but it's God-breathed into us. So He's saying, listen, begin to listen to this. Begin to, to hear this because I'm giving you something that's going to come straight from Him. Then He says this, For God is my witness, who I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son. So who's he saying is his witness? He said God is his witness. God is my witness. Absolutely. He's not saying man is my witness. He's not saying uh, uh, my circumstances are my witness. Other religious leaders. He's establishing that the witness to this is going to be God. And so God is my witness in my servant spirit and the gospel son. Without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Too much to that to hit it in the next couple minutes. But guys, listen. Uh, really the point that I want to drive home right here as we close out today is that, number one, that, that we're all God-called. That God has called every one of us. And the Scripture says, Jesus said, that many are called, but few are chosen. So when He speaks out and He utters this, He's speaking it to you and I. And, he, and He's saying that, that God has called you His saints. And if God calls you those things, there's an expectancy that God has for you and for me. And it's to walk according to righteousness. It's to, to walk according to that truth. It's to walk according to the Spirit of holiness. To, to walk daily in a heart of repentance towards the things of God. And to, to walk in that grace. To that walk in that influence that God has for us. And to seek the God type of peace. I want to, I want to say that again. To seek a God type of peace. Right. And not the, the, the peace that, that comes from the world that's a, a conformity. Listen, he said you're going to be hated of all men for his name's sake. He said that those that walk godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. If you haven't suffered persecution, the chances are you're not walking godly, you're not walking wow. godly in Christ Jesus. Because the world will hate you for that cause. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we love you and appreciate you. Uh, once again, uh, Brother Steve will have this available on our, our webcast, on our, excuse me, on our blog spot at ravenoutreach.blogspot.com. Later on this afternoon, I'll make it available. He'll make that available to me. You have that link. You can download it to your computer and empty pre- MP3 format. I've got to say that three times fast. i say that fast. You can't do it. Uh, but to have that, and get, just get that word in you. I encourage you uh, the next couple of days just to, to get that, that grace in your heart because we're going to need that as we continue to dig deeper in this. I'm Pastor Troy Bond, Raven Outreach Ministries. Pastor Alex Hill. Pastor Alex Hill right with me. We love you and we will see you Amen. tomorrow at 9 o'clock uh, a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. God bless you. Have a great day in Jesus.